Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Doug, who is CEO of Stable. Doug, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Absolute pleasure. Um, we've got to give a shout out to InsureTech Insights because um, we met at their London event um, less, what was it, a month ago now? Was it a month ago? About, yeah, mid, mid-March. Um, and yeah, we had, uh, I think you were maybe, I don't know, 10 or 11 uh, into the networking meetings. And we just had a really nice chat instead of like, a, here's my business, here's your business. Um, yeah. it, was, it was fun. I, I don't know if like we, we clicked or whatever, whatever the reason was, maybe we were both done with talking about our, our companies <laughs> instead just decided to, to kind of wing it and have a, a bit more of a real conversation, like a human would instead of like a networking type thing. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think that was the, the timing was interesting on that event though, because I, um, there's so many people said to me, and I'm sure you have the same thing, that, that a lot of people, it's their first event from since the pandemic, and I think there was a genuine like joy, like people were just like joyful to be in, in the company of people. Um, so I, I felt less of the hard press of selling than than um, than normal. Although it's usually me that should be selling to other people rather than people selling to me. So maybe I should have been doing more selling, but I, I definitely wasn't. Well, yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, maybe that's the soft sell, right? You because now now than gender, like I feel like really like oh, I want to know Alex better. I want to hang out with him on a, on a personal level. And so uh, maybe that doesn't scale well for your business, but it definitely it definitely worked in in our case. So no, I'm gonna yeah, right. Well, it's a nice strategy. I'm gonna try that. I'm just gonna befriend everyone in InsureTech, and then eventually um, <laughs> they'll, they'll feel obligated to work with me on the recruitment front. Right. Um, but look, I, I've I've gone off tangent straight away. But Doug, obviously, we we wouldn't be the podcast without starting um, with explaining who Stable are. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be great if you could explain the same business and and, and what you guys do. Yeah. So uh, we, we're a commercial auto MGA focused on the mobility space. So things like ride share, car share, delivery. Um, and, and how we got here was, uh, so I used to be an attorney. I worked at a company called Mercer, one of the Washington Clinton companies in, in New York. 
uh, data security, some IP stuff, contract review, things like that for them. Um, and at the same time, I had this side business of a fleet of vehicles in New York. But like even attorneys, unless you're a billionaire in New York, you probably need a side gig just to, to make ends meet. Um, so my side gig was a friend and I started this, this uh, um, fleet of vehicles where we buy a vehicle, uh, put it onto the Uber and Lyft network, get it insured, get it licensed with the, with the city and then rent it out to uh, typically immigrants uh, that were coming in um, and you know, didn't have credit, couldn't afford uh, down payments on cars or insurance or things like that. Um, and they would use it primarily for Uber. And um, what, we, what we noticed was um, there, was an there was not an insurance product that really fit our need and kind of all the technology we were putting to the vehicles, all the automation uh, that we were using. We were collecting data from the platforms themselves to help make credit decisions on who we wanted to rent to. Um, and just realized there was a huge shortfall kind of from the insurance perspective. And so as we went out and talked to other fleets and then individual owner operators and just like the platforms themselves and a lot of new, new companies that were trying to start up. So a couple of rideshare oriented companies that wanted to compete with Uber and Lyft, just at, unless you got to a large scale, um, there wasn't really an insurance solution for you. So that stable was born out of that, really trying to solve our own fleet's needs. And then as we saw more and more people having this problem and realizing that it was as, as these industries scaled up and then the pandemic kind of blew the delivery thing up and, and ride shares coming back from that. Car share is a huge thing in the US now. Um, and so I, I just see this problem starting to expound across uh, new types of mobility, uh, especially where you have mixed use of, of personal vehicles. Um, and that's, that's essentially what Stable is solving for. So we have our first uh, product uh, going live. Um, our very own first product is MGA. We, we were a digital broker for a while, uh, shut that down and now focus just on our own products. Uh, that goes live in Illinois, and it's a, a product for owner operators. So not, not fleets right now, just somebody who, who owns a vehicle, uses it for ride share, um, goes live in June. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Uh, we have a car share product uh, that's going to uh, shortly follow that, and then a, a fleet uh, ride share product as well. Um, so we'll go state by state in the U.S. It's a little bit different than the U.K. and uh, how you can, in the EU, and uh, how you can operate. You have to typically go into each state individually, which is a bit of a hassle, but uh, definitely yeah. works um, from a moat perspective, right? So once you get launched in a state, then it's a little bit harder for, for anybody else to kind of follow up uh, mm. for, for a period of time anyway. Mm. Awesome. That is one of the more complicated side hustles that I've ever heard anyone have. Like, you know, side hustle is supposed to be, I drive an Uber at night and I'm an attorney. You're like, right. oh, we rent fleets and then we have to credit score people and put them in. Like, yeah. It was, I would say, our our thought about how uncomplicated it would be was harsh. The harsh reality of it was, uh, I, I, mean, I was picking up cars on weekends that people would abandon. Um, I just I started dating my wife around the time I think we got married uh, during during us running that and I was kind of, she's like what the hell are you doing <laughs> like wait you're going to like Connecticut or 100 miles away to like pick up this car like what, what are you doing like what was your real job <laughs> um, and uh, yeah so uh, it was much more difficult than we anticipated uh, one of the reasons that we did some of the data collection was just to to stop those issues from happening or have them happen less often uh, and then kind of stumbled across upon the value from an insurance perspective all this data that we were collecting and how valuable that was uh, from a loss control perspective as well mm -hmm. um yeah, <laughs> but, uh, i do you think there's something in that i'll come ask you as, as, a, as a founder um how important uh, naivete is, is is to is to success oh. in entrepreneurship <laughs> yeah so actually my uh my my first co-founder steven decker still with us um he like he would say 
if he knew how difficult this was going to be, I think everything in insurance is more difficult. Highly regulated space is difficult. Um, I think it's probably a little bit easier for other startups, but even then, I think for you to think about how long it's going to take to either get that first customer, get that first partnership or that first deal, and then to get the first investor and then to start the whole cycle over again so you can get like the next investor. Um, yeah, you have to believe that it's going to take less time than it actually does. Um, I heard it explained once. Um, so there's another founder uh, giving a, a talk on just like his his journey, and he explained it as like I've climbed to the top of this mountain, um, and then I see there's another mountain that's a little bit further on, and it's a little bit higher. And I just need to get to that next one, and then and then I'm to the top, and I've summited. But then you get to that one, you're like. There's, now there's another one that I have to get to. And so I think you have this view of like where you're trying to go in the short term and you just like try to get there. And then once you get there, there's a little bit of a victory. You're like, oh my God, but you realize like oh, there's a lot more to do and probably this, this journey won't stop uh, anytime soon. Mm, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a lovely analogy. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly what it's like. Um, and that's, that's the thing is that, that that growth over time when you look back, it always looks really smooth. Right. Um, I'm always fascinated by that, that um, when you talk to people who've been super successful, there's two things. It's one, they've got so many war stories along the way. Um, and, and if they haven't, then I just always think they've forgotten them. Um, and then like how much luck plays a part and, and as well, you know, just like getting lucky, meeting the right teams, for example, like how do you stumble upon your team? Because um, I was going to ask you that, you know, is it is it? is stable evolved from literally from the kind of original fleet business was that what it's called or was it you 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 completely restructured new new team or is it the kind of original team no yeah so it was um it was a friend and i that started it uh, so completely separate entity it was called revor it's a, it's a dutch word i'm originally uh, from dutch ancestry so i worked in these these kind of like odd sounding words and all the companies that I had prior um, and none of them care people like if you're going to build a brand you can't have these you know, yeah. these words that nobody yeah. can pronounce um, and so stable was completely separate um, my my co-founder the first one Stephen Decker uh, he was an investor in in that fleet um, but uh, yeah didn't really have any any operational uh, work with it it still exists um, we still own it it's uh, run by a couple of uh, really, really smart actual fleet guys. Like these guys run fleets as a business. And so they do a much better job than I do, than I did uh, of, of running it. Um, it's much, I think much more successful now without my day-to-day -day involvement. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's always, it's always slightly depressing. Um, <laughs> I know what you're not good at. I feel like that's, that's a, a part of growing up, right? Um, like yeah. I can't do that. Like can't play in the NBA. Um, I can be a footballer. I shouldn't be running a fleet. Yeah. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. So the, so the, the founding team of, of, of stable, um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm generally interested, like who was the founding team and, and then talk to me about this, the sort of size and shape of the business now, how many people you've got with the business. And I'm always intrigued about how you came to find these people and get them, get them on board. Yeah, so I, I mean, I still kind of pinch myself on the luck we've had hiring people. Um, so I, I don't know what it is yet. Um, if we can figure it out, I'll let you know, because we'll try to keep replicating that as we hire yeah. more people. Um, but so Stephen, I originally met, um, he he and I worked at a, um, what would be today considered a fintech, uh, but it was a, uh, a small kind of like consulting slash uh, technology provider for trust departments in the US. So we worked there in like 2002. Uh, so many years ago, he, I was employee number one. Um, 
and he was intern number one and then became employee number two. And so uh, Steve and I have known each other for a very long time. And when I, when I kind of came up with this realization of, of the insurance deficiency for, you know, for mobility, I went and talked to him about it. And he's like, this is really interesting. And I'm kind of done with, I mean, I don't want to, he was, he was doing some um, uh, product management for uh, automated manufacturing at the time. So kind of, he's a, he's a product manager by trade uh, and, or by, over the last 15 years, that's what he's been doing. Uh, kind of was looking for his next thing. So convinced, he was actually easy to convince, much easier than I had thought. Uh, and uh, yeah, so he, you, him and I both quit our jobs, started focusing on stable full-time in 2018. Um, didn't get paid for the longest time, uh, him and I together. Um, so the fact that he stuck with me, like I'm still pretty amazed with, um, only within, we, we got our first kind of real investment uh, last summer. Uh, so just under a year ago, and then started paying ourselves uh, finally. Uh, but even then, pretty paltry sums to what we were we were getting paid prior. Um, yeah, so got him him involved early on, uh, and has uh, I like to say to him, blood in, blood out. Like um, it's going to be hard for him to leave, or I'm going to make it hard for him to leave because I love working with him so much. Uh, and then for for two years, it was just the two of us. So 2018, 2019, basically up until the pandemic, we had different people kind of helping out. Uh, more from like a part-time or contracting perspective. I had a part-time CTO uh, that was trying to help us with, with some of the technology stuff that I had built. Uh, I'm like a part-time engineer. I'm not very good at it, but I can like hack things together uh, for production. You definitely want somebody else handling it. Um, but yeah, we, we were definitely naive from an insurance perspective where we thought, okay, this is an interesting idea. We see a, a massive gap in the market for this right now. We should be able to convince or reinsure that this is a good idea. Um, and I think at the time, you know, 2018 was kind of like the probably the peak, 2018, 2019, the peak of um, you know, Lemonade, Metro Mile, all these companies were raising a lot of money, uh, potentially going to have an IPO soon. Um, and from the press, it made it seem like this was a really easy thing to do. Go talk to a reinsurer, get capacity, find a front, uh, launch your product. In reality, that much different, especially the reality of we were trying to do this in New York first, which is uh, for your non-US based listeners, uh, one of the more difficult, probably the most difficult state from an insurance uh, regulatory perspective to launch in. Uh, we were trying to do it in commercial auto, which has not performed well, you know, for the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to do it in this space um, in, in rideshare where there's like a pretty big lack of data, um, at least from an insurance perspective, right? Like how actuaries were handling this was, was kind of unknown yet. Um, so yeah, we, we got told no a lot. Uh, that's why we took the, the uh, digital broker uh, opportunity when that came up uh, for us to do that. Um, we, at, the, at that time though, we had done a really good job of collecting a lot of advisors uh, that were uh, the actual insurance people, people that knew what they were doing in the space. So um, a former guy from Philly, uh, who's, who's gone on to do his own thing in the MGA space uh, with some of the McGuire uh, brothers. Um, uh, this other guy, uh, John Salvucci, who ended up being our third co-founder. So John uh, was a, a former underwriter at AIG and then was running his own independent agency for about a decade. Uh, and he came on as an advisor just to help out from a partnership perspective. How, this is how you need to talk to a carrier. This is how you talk to a reinsurer. Um, and then after about six months, he, he was having such a good time working with us from an advisory perspective. He asked if he could come on as a co-founder. So I still, I couldn't believe it when that happened. I was like, well, yes, absolutely. Um, we'd love to have you. Uh, and so yeah, John, John became the third co-founder in early 2020. 
And um, yeah, since then we've kind of hired as needed. So we've had a few engineers that we've hired. Uh, and then since, since we've received some of our funding um, and actually have the product going live, obviously you need a team to support you uh, with that. So um, hired a, um, a director of operations, director of claims, uh, this guy, uh, Dylan Brand, who's probably has, he probably did the first rideshare claim in the US. He worked for a carrier that did rideshare very early on, early on uh, with Uber. Um, and he's probably seen uh, at least the lion's share of rideshare claims in the U.S. So we're lucky to bring him on. Um, our director of operations, Tiffany, she's amazing at organizing us and, and getting us to, to do the stuff that we need to do um, to actually execute. Um, and then, yeah, so we, we've just been lucky uh, finding people. I think we found both. Uh, Dylan, we knew just from our network. Uh, Tiffany, we found through AngelList. Um, and, and again, I know that our luck is gonna run out at some point. You know, one of the reasons we like to have conversations with people like you, where at some point we're gonna to have to scale, we're gonna to need to hire quickly, and you're not gonna have this great network of people built up or kind of like somebody slotted in ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you think about hiring those people when you don't have a month to hire them, you have like two or three days, really like in, you, you wanna have them live in two or three days, it's still gonna take longer than that. But these processes just can't take as long as, as we've been allowing ourselves to have to this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funnily enough, I'm writing something at the moment, which is a bit of a guide for how to recruit for a startup. And, and, and you know, most of it is me setting out, the, if it was my money, this is what I would do. And, and you know, and, and a lot of it's having like processes and procedures. And, and, and there's always this sort of trade off. And, and, you know, there's the cost of it. And then there's the time component. And uh, yeah, my favorite conversation I have with people is say, oh, we don't spend anything on recruitment. I'm like, well, you're doing it yourself. So what is, what's your time worth? You know, <laughs> it's, right, it's, yeah. it's, it's a really obvious thing, but, but then that doesn't mean that you've got cash because certainly like I'm trying to hire at the moment. Um, I was trying to hire a couple of years ago. I didn't have the money to use an external recruiter. I now do. And, and you know, recruiters use recruiters. Uh, no surprise there. So I like, you know, uh, but it's, but it's when and where, and um, you know, one of the things that I always say is that you have to always be recruiting. So it's no surprise to me that you've got some of those people from your network, and, that, and that's you know, it's, that's why things like InsureTech Insights are so important. You know, it's you meet people, you stumble into someone that happens to work in my chair claims, and you're like, ah, right. that's going in the role of Dex for uh, <laughs> some yeah. point in the future, right? So yeah, I mean, literally, what happened with Dylan, right? We um, I've known him for a couple of years, but we really bonded. Um, at ITC in Vegas, um, you know, I think again that was my that was my first conference after COVID, and everybody was happy to be out. And so we spent many nights out with him. And uh, after that, we're like, hey, we should all work together. And so we started building towards that. Um, but yeah, it's I think what I've realized is probably the biggest role for a CEO, at least in an early stage company, um, or much a much bigger role than maybe I had realized was kind of continuing that recruiting effort, mm. uh, meeting people. Um, talking to them about what they're interested in, what why would the, why they would want to move, how you can get them, um, and so yeah, that that process can take a couple of years or a year. Um, you mm. know, then they may. I'm usually upfront, like, hey, I want you to think about working with us, but I know some people do it very like kind of coyly, like, hey, I just want to grab a coffee and kind of chat yeah. with you about things. Yes. Um, so I think both approaches are fine, but uh, yeah, it's 
I think the successful um, startups from a talent perspective, like they they do have to put the effort in one way or the other. Either you pay for people that you trust to do it, somebody like you, um, or you have to do it yourself. But it is a cost component, whether you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've got my shameless list of people that I, I tell every time I speak to, and they're friends of mine from the recruitment industry. I'm like, we will work together one day. <laughs> this is going to happen. Like, I mean, one, one, I've been, one I've probably been trying to hire him for about six years, so I don't think, I don't think that's happening. But, um, you know, now it's just this, like, novelty thing that I have to throw into every conversation we have. But, right. um, but no, I think it's important. And obviously, you know, innovation is a large part of what we like to talk about here. Um, I've got a big, you know, not <laughs> particularly surprising belief that starts with leadership. So I was wondering, like, how do you create that culture in your role, um, how do you kind of tr- try and promote in- innovation within your business? Yeah, I mean, this is something that we've we've thought a lot about, and like in, in the context of like who should we be hiring, especially from an insurance perspective, because um, I think so, so. In general, every hire you make as an early stage company is extremely risky, right? We, we you don't have a lot of time to figure out if this was um, a good hire or a bad hire. If it's a bad hire, you need to like go out and start the whole process over again. So it's putting you on the back foot, whatever you were working on, whatever initiative that person was coming in to help you solve. Um, so I think that's one reason you have to put so much work into figuring out who you're going to hire from an early stage perspective, just because a bad hire is, is extremely detrimental to your success. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from an insurance perspective, I think it's a little bit more difficult. We, so we've actually done this on both the engineering side and on the insurance side where uh, so, so on the engineering side, I think we've been more open to uh, non-standard engineers. So our first engineer hire was somebody who was a broker, uh, but was teaching himself how to code. And, uh, you know, we took him on and, and it was great, like great relationship. He worked, worked with us for about two years, uh, you know, built his talents up. And actually, he just recently left for a really good role. Uh, sad to see him leave, but um, we're happy for, for him to progress within his career. Um, but that... Yeah, I feel like typically you wouldn't hire that person, um, you know, with their talent level or lack of experience if you were well-funded or you had like a long runway for, for mistakes. Uh, so we just said, hey, like, we think this person understands insurance uh, and they're willing to like work a lot to, to get up to speed on the engineering side. Um, and so is that is that person kind of going to learn everything they need to learn um, on, on kind of their own time, like realizing this isn't kind of a nine to five job now? Um, or, or will they not? So that's important from an engineering perspective. From the, from the insurance side, it's a little bit more difficult. We haven't dealt with this other than with Dylan, who, you know, he came from a larger insurer. Um, but I know we will have to soon as we start having to hire more insurance-related people. So whether those are agents or whether those are underwriters, uh, actuaries, things like that. A lot of stuff that we contract for right now. Uh, but as we go to scale, we know that those are going to be full-time roles that we need. And I think you can do one of two things. You can pay up for a really talented um, you know, name uh, within the industry. And I think there's benefits to doing that, but also a lot of risk from either like a cash burn perspective or this person comes in and maybe doesn't realize like I don't have, you know, two assistants helping me anymore. I don't have an email that I can send off for, for supplies. Like I'm kind of, I have to be self-sufficient within this organization. And um, if you don't, I guess note that upfront to them, then all of a sudden you're spending more than maybe you realize like kind of building the infrastructure that they would need, um, you know, for a much later stage company. Um, so yeah, I don't know that we've solved it on the insurance side yet. We've gotten lucky on the engineering side, I would say. Um, 
where we've hired more non-traditional people. We've hired traditional engineers as well, but uh, we've, we've been lucky so far with the non-traditional ones. Um, on the insurance side, I'll let you know uh, how, how that goes in the future. If, if we are thinking about it correctly, where we're, uh, it's kind of a diamond in the rough type thing. Like, hey, like, can we find somebody um, within an insurance organization that isn't very happy? Maybe they internally tried to do, um, whether it was a startup or a new initiative or whatever, and they're just, they don't like the politics of it anymore. Um, they want to have a little bit more ownership over the process. Um, they're very talented, but maybe they're a bit junior. And there's a lot of people that they have to go through to kind of advance uh, their own career. Mm. Um, that's like a perfect find, uh, I think, versus like somebody who on paper looks great because they have 20, 30 years experience and they've done very impressive things uh, and held a very impressive role. Um, but to pay for that person is going to be expensive. And then to build the infrastructure to keep that person happy, happy is going to be expensive. And then do they even perform well? And, and, you know, if you're trying to innovate, if you're trying to do something different, uh, not the same old thing that maybe an, ins an insurance company, a larger insurance company can work, uh, you know, incrementally, right? Incremental progress is, is good, probably from their shareholders perspective. For a startup, it doesn't work that way. You do have to make a meaningful change in whatever you're trying to do to have differentiation from an incumbent. Uh, and so if you can't find the, the person coming from an incumbent that's willing to help uh, initiate that, then, then it's not really a good hire either. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm always amazed that we don't do more in the sort of psychometric assessment or personality profiling or things like that. I'm surprised that we don't, we don't see as much of that because it doesn't matter who I talk to in the, in, in the startup space, but we're always having the same conversations. It's that, you know, when we listen to that, what you were saying, I think you're absolutely right. But, but really, we're talking about how comfortable with change is that person and how much resource do they need to make meaningful difference in our business. Um, and I think you can find people with 30 years experience that are desperate for change and are invigorated by the idea of doing something different but also i would say as a rule of thumb it's much harder um because if you come from absolutely incremental growth and you know you have i've talked about this a few times insurance is really bad for having very very narrow roles you know you are a specialist underwriter in a particular class in a particular region in a particular area of the world um and you write that business via five or six broker partners, you know, like, like it's really quite narrow. And that means you're brilliant at that thing. But actually stick that person inside a startup and go, you've also got to get involved with the product team and you might actually have to right. sit with developers for a few days a week just to kind of work this out from a coding perspective. So what's right. the, can you help us with the workflow? And you're just doing all these different things. And, and that's the thing that we have to test for um, that's really challenging. Um, well, I think so insurance is... Yeah. Right, right or wrong, um, a lot of the people that seem to work in insurance are, are more risk averse, right? So more conservative in nature, um, which is not, I'm not stating that as a bad thing. I think it's probably a lot of people within incumbents would agree. In fact, like a lot of our partners, you know, they would say the same thing to us. We, this is too, we are too conservative to take this type of risk to work with you. Um, it just, it wouldn't work within, you know, the, the, the framework of what we're trying to do to create value for our shareholders. Um, and, and I think you need to like, the concentric circle of maybe people that fit in that organization that could fit in ours is probably quite small or at least much smaller than a lot of other industries where I think you could go out and I can't think of an example, a different startup in a different industry could go find somebody that maybe 
from an incumbent in their space that would make a lot more sense, would be willing to take some risks. Uh, I think it's just hard. They're not impossible to find, but I think it is a little bit harder just given the type of makeup of, of people in the insurance space. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it's quite hard, Doug, I'll be honest, because that's why I've got a job. Um, <laughs> that is true, yeah. yeah, keeping you in business there. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Um, talking about hiring some more, you know, um, you and I talked about insurance as a social good, and, and I think particularly with things like what you're doing, you know, we know that um, particularly immigrant community find it harder to get the kind of um, societal support from like financial services organizations, insurance companies. Um, and I really believe like insurance is a social good. Um, does that ever play into your thinking on the sort of types of personalities that you want inside the business from that perspective, like just the cultural element? Yeah, so I mean, this is interesting as well because we you know, we're early. I don't know that we really have a culture developed, but we think about what having a culture looks like, right? Having at least having a bad culture, like, ooh, are we seeing this move in a direction that we're not comfortable with? Um, and so I think you know, a, a, a corp, even a corporation is just it's a makeup of whoever works there. Um, that, that's at scale, right? You have hundreds of thousands of people potentially working there. Maybe there's pockets of of culture um, across different uh, sect, or sorry, different uh, cities that you're working in. But um, you know, at its smallest part, like we are at that team level right now. We have a small team. Um, anybody that we hire uh, that maybe isn't a good cultural fit or is somebody who wouldn't move us in the direction that we want to think about from a cultural perspective would have a negative impact on, I think, what we're trying to create both as a company, but then from a product perspective as well. Um, so uh, no, I would like, I wouldn't say that we have like a political uh, bent on it, but we do think about like, what does this person do? Like maybe what part of the country are they from or what have we seen them do in the past? Um, you have to be very careful, at least in the US, I don't know what things are like in the UK, um, you know, there's limited numbers of questions you can ask from a, um, from a hiring perspective to get at that type of feedback or trying to understand that. Um, but you can usually tell like early on, like whether you have similar interests or, or at least interests that align or things that you maybe don't know enough about, but you want to learn more about. Um, I think about, hopefully I'm not blowing up Tiffany here, uh, but she came on, uh, she was our uh, first female hire, which is another, like another unfortunate uh, side effect of working both in, in technology and in insurance. That could be a little bit more difficult to find um, you know, females to work with, uh, but it's, you know, I think having a diverse team, um, whether it's um, uh, gender orientated or, or um, you know, background orientated, um, and actually, like in the U.S., there's just like you know, there's a, a, a large amount of diversity, to, like regardless of kind of what your your background is, uh, just by given where you grew up and maybe what your social status was. Um, uh, but yeah, she so she, we, we have this like, internal book club, and we you know we kind of talk about different books we want to read, and uh, we're we're talking about reading uh, Teal's book um, uh, again uh, with with some of the new people, and she's like, hey, actually want to. In, in, in reading that book, I want to read the, there's a book called Brotopia or something about Brotopia, uh, which talks about Teal and kind of like the PayPal mafia. We're like, this is good. This is like having this new person in with a different background, different experience, um, even though she's in San Francisco, like technology hub probably of the world. Um, she's like, hey, you guys need to think about this other aspect. Uh, so if we want to make this a more diverse place, uh, a, more, a more hospitable place for people to work, like we should think about, like none of you are teal, like none of you are probably of, of that uh, kind of libertarian bent, but we should think about how you're talking about um, even the books you want to read, right? What you're suggesting people in the company want to read. So um, 
you do you do get to know these things pretty quickly. I think that was like within a week of her starting. Um, you know, she had made that suggestion. You're like, okay, this is good. Like, I need to take this, and we need to learn from this. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so it, it is a big a big part of it. Um, so our customer base. So obviously, these are not wealthy individuals that we're working with. They are not large corporations. Um, you know, it's not a B two B product in essence, um, like a sales team that we're selling into. It's a it's typically kind of an overlooked uh, customer category right now. It's a, a very large growing customer category. And I think at scale, like this, the market opportunity is very interesting, but um, it, I mean, people really, companies usually that are building products for this user base, at least to date, haven't really thought about, okay, like what is this person going through on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, right? Do they, you know, do, can they live beyond one paycheck? Like if we have, if we take two day, two weeks to get their, their claim resolved, um, what does that mean to them uh, from a, like a personal level? Um, so we do ask questions like that. Like, what do you know about Rideshare? Do you follow what's going on in, in like, you know, Rideshare overall? Um, do you kind of understand these users' mindsets? Um, we do a lot of customer interviews. Uh, John, uh, John um, Salvucci uh, runs with a lot of those right now. And so we record them and we usually ask, hey, is it okay if we share this with our team? And so that you really get a sense of like what these people are dealing with um, from a day-to-day -day perspective. Um, and it's, all, it's not always about insurance, right? They just kind of need a, um, kind of a shoulder to cry on, but somebody to kind of vent to sometimes like, hey, these are all the terrible things we're having to deal with. Um, and then you kind of see how people react to that. Uh, you know, do they come up with new ideas for new products or ways to fix those problems? I think that gives you a good idea as well um, if they're you know, a long-term cultural fit. Like I said, we're, we're so small right now that we haven't really had anybody kind of fall outside the, the norm of what we you know, think is, a, is kind of the good, a good move forward from a cultural perspective. Mm, yeah, and I, I, think, I think it's, it's kind of controllable when you, you, you earlier, but I would say that culture's kind of, yeah, it's just, it's just the net result of the people you hire, as, exactly as you said at the top. And, and you can't, I love it when people try and force and shape that culture. You know, our culture is going to be this, or, or right. we put some, they just become words on the boardroom wall, right? Like, right. You've, got to, you've, you've got to hire it into the business. And, um, oh, it's, it's <laughs> embarrassingly, this podcast is out today, and there was a phrase, a brilliant phrase, as, um, found from um, CEO Renancy, um, then came out with this phrase that was something about, adding culture like like basically you don't want cultural fit you want cultural kind of i can't remember i'll have to bleed i'll have to cut it in but it's, it's, <laughs> it's essentially about the kind of danger of cultural fit and exactly to your point where you've got someone challenging your views as long as it's a kind of collaborative challenge it's like you need challenges but they can't be like individual mini wars every time there's a kind of conflict it was a yeah i think that's when it moves into like cultural forming to like the political aspect of probably the reason, I mean, definitely one of the reasons that I, I loved working at Mercer, like it was a great team that I worked with, but I was just not cut out for like kind of the corporate back and forth. And I think that's what culture kind of develops into is more of like a political type, hey, how can I, how can I as an individual get ahead or my team get ahead versus like moving the entire organization forward. Um, I mean, this is like a, a lot of thoughts on just like corporate versus startup and what happens when a like a corporate buys a startup, like how does that change the culture? Um, but like, definitely out of the scope of this conversation. But um, yeah, I, like I, I like that idea of, of stretching and seeing what breaks and what doesn't break. Um, I think I maybe have a sense of, of what um, how she was saying. Um, I actually had a great chat with her in London. Uh, we, we were at a lunch together and um, 
really enjoyed kind of listening to um, kind of how she put her team together and what they were working on um, and some of her thoughts around leadership and things like that. So um, I can kind of get a sense, I think, of maybe what she was was directing this towards. And it is like you can't slot in culture. Like you, you maybe as you know a CEO or a co-founder, you have thoughts on how you want things to move forward. Um, but I think the more you try to force things, like you said, that later on, that, that actually creates problems as well. You're like, hey, like this is not what I joined up for um, mm-hmm. as as an employee, right? I want to. I want to try and make my mark on on my team or on the company overall. And so you need to like take that feedback in and kind of see how people change the culture and move it forward. As long as it's moving in a way that's positive, like has a positive impact on everything, which I think there's ways to measure um, and try to correlate with with culture itself. Then you sh- you as like a co-founder shouldn't try to like stop that from happening or a CEO stop that from happening. You should just, like say hey like how can I um, help to to kind of push this even further along uh, and and advocate for all of these people that are put like they're the ones that are building the culture. It's not it's not even like the leadership team. I think it's it's the company overall. It's the day to day people working um, with the customers and the trenches, things like that um, that really are going to drive how you form your culture over the long term. Yeah, it's one of those things you just, I think at a certain point you have to let go of and just uh, hopefully hire well. Um, I wanted to bring you back, back to the business. Um, there's some very clear partnership opportunities um, that I'm seeing kind of uh, how much is partnerships um, not necessarily uh, an important part of the business now? Is, is it, do, you, do you see it growing by partnerships? What, what's the kind of like strategy around that? Because I imagine there's quite a few opportunities in place like this. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so I think obviously like the, the the top partnership, at least on the rideshare side, would be working with Uber or, or Lyft and selling through their platform. Uh, I think there's steps before that that you can work out where um, you are offering some benefit to to drivers on their platform and maybe you get maybe they get some compensation, some additional compensation for getting better insurance or insurance more directed towards uh, the types of protections that a rideshare driver would need and potentially are saving the rideshare platforms a little bit of money on their insurance costs as well. Um, I think those are those are like baby steps that you can take. Uh, the data sharing is very important. Um, we we underwrite uh, based off of some of the data that we get from the platforms. So we try to have a good relationship with uh, with either the vendors that are helping us get that data or the platforms themselves that are helping us get that data. Um, so those are important things to have in place. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we think about it from like a data sharing perspective, but then also potentially a distribution perspective more down the road, uh, definitely. Um, I would say on the car share side, that's a little bit more nascent in the U.S. And so you can usually get uh, some of the top top level people at the car share organizations uh, to chat with you. And, and there's actually, a, in the U.S. anyway, it's a huge uh, supply issue uh, for rental cars right now. And so um, the the uh, right, or sorry, car share platforms like Turo and, and Get Around, uh, Hire Car have been doing really good business because of that, but they themselves have a car share, or sorry, a supply uh, shortage now. And part of it's related to insurance. Like you just can't find insurance is really specifically directed towards car share. Uh, so it's kind of like where ride share was like five or six years ago. Uh, and so we're coming in and helping solve that problem. And I think that's a little bit easier of a, an ask to go to the platform and say, hey, we can help you solve your supply side issue here by giving you this insurance product or even your customers this insurance product and, and helping them grow their fleets. Um, so those, I think it's, you have to be somewhat opportunistic and say, hey, like, where could I make, like, we're a small team, uh, John handles a lot of the partnership stuff, where could he make the most um, uh, effort 
for um, you know, for his time uh, in getting a partnership going, and and what kind of partnerships do we want to think about to get in place uh, and go out and like either raise again or think about how to like build further reinsurance relationships kind of around them. So that's how we think about partnerships right now, but but definitely down the road. I mean, the the uh, the holy grail is probably distributing through um, a large rideshare platform and car share platform. Um, and then that just helps you from a, um, a customer acquisition cost perspective, uh, obviously, but then having that uh, getting in front of as many customers as possible as quickly as possible is, is a nice thing to have. Mm. Yeah, because I, 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 I know less about the US landscape on this, but you know, we had guys collective benefits on our uh, on the podcast and those guys obviously do benefits for you know, not just Vijay, but the, 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 it's for the, the gig economy workforce. Um, but they would have partnerships like that. Are there similar businesses in the in the US focus that you could partner with? Um, so actually, one of the one of the more interesting things is there's a lot of um, other software tool providers for these communities. Uh, so the car share in particular, there's a um, uh, a couple of. Uh, fleet management platforms uh, that have already interfaced with the, with the car share platforms. So as you grow a fleet, they help you do kind of like time management and who's using your vehicle when on which platform, uh, kind of like aggregating that all together. So I think selling through, through them is like an embedded option through them is kind of been an interesting thing we've been looking at. Um, there's two or three kind of in the US right now. There's a couple of international ones. Um, again, I think we just, we're going to see that space really grow where you're going to have, so these platforms of, um, whether it's car share platform or ride share platform has opened up the opportunity for people to kind of run these small fleets. Uh, we had a, one of our advisors called the distributed fleets. I think it's a really interesting concept. It's not, it's not me having a thousand cars, you know, Avis or Hertz sitting at the airport. Uh, it's me having 15 cars and I kind of park them around my area and I either uh, up to a certain point I'm delivering them to the airport myself and then maybe after as I grow a little bit I have an employee that helps me do that um, so really just this idea of like little pockets of fleets kind of all over the place uh, at a much smaller level and how do you how do you ensure those what are the risks levels uh, of those and how do you get in front of them as well and again we think about it from a if there's another uh, distribution or another value uh, whether it's the platform themselves or, or some of these um, fleet management programs programs that we've been talking to um, that already have that customer, uh, it makes a lot of sense for us to try and add value in from an insurance perspective, um, mm. especially if you're only, there's only a few uh, insurance companies that currently offer these types of things. Um, I think then you, you, it's much easier to get on those platforms than if there was like 20 or 30 of you kind of sitting around doing this. Mm. It's, it, it's one of those, um, it seems like interesting timing, like really good timing from, from your part, from a kind of launch perspective. So. Um, I'm really conscious of time, so I'll, I'll, I'll make this kind of our, 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 I suppose, our last question as such. But you know, you've just you, you raised some money relatively recently. You've been investing and growing the team. Um, you know, we're, we're in the second quarter of uh, 2022. What what's what's 2022 look like for you from a growth perspective and and going into 2023? Where where do you envisage your business being at the point that that point? Yeah, so for the rest of 2022, really our focus is just getting live in a few more states. Uh, so getting the the both the rideshare and the car share product up and running. Uh, so first in Illinois, um, and kind of by, um, it's not 100% set in stone, but kind of looking at Arizona, Texas, and, and either Tennessee or Georgia, uh, kind of within the next six months or so, uh, definitely by the end of 2022. Um, and then trying to do kind of a larger state rollout in 2023 with, with that same product. 
Um, but I think one of the big things that we've realized, and this is kind of kind of brought it full circle to what we were originally doing with the data with the fleet, which is really more credit monitoring. Like, hey, like, is this a driver that we even want to rent to? Do they earn enough money um, to for us to, to rent this vehicle out? Or are they going to be problematic because they, we see these large fluctuations in earning? Um, what we found is this driver community um, and, and small business community, like if you think about it from the kind of distributed fleet perspective, doesn't have a lot of tools built for their specific needs. And so we've, we've solved for some of those. We have a, a driver report that we give out to drivers that helps them aggregate and automate uh, their earnings uh, tabulations. They don't have to do that on their own across all the different platforms. And we've started to layer in some expense uh, options, which has been interesting with, with gas rise, uh, gas prices in the US. And I think maybe worldwide have been increasing just because of the, uh, the Ukraine conflict. Um, having the ability to kind of track that through our platform has been interesting uh, to see some users do. Uh, so really, are there are there software things that we can do uh, where we build it once, right, and give it out either free or low cost, um, because a lot of the data that we already need to collect from an insurance perspective that we're collecting from the platforms and give value out from an analytics perspective to, to drivers. Um, we'll continue to develop those things uh, over the coming years. Uh, but we've also realized there's just other products that these these types of customers need, whether they're banking orientated, um, life and health, um, accident disability type stuff. So some of the stuff that I think Collective is doing in the EU um, is not. There's there's a few companies doing it here in the U.S., but it's, it's pretty it's pretty spread out. And so if you have this active customer, um, so we our product is mandated our auto liability product. It's you need a auto product of some type. You don't have to get it from Stable. You should get it from Stable, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what can we, so we've built this great relationship with this customer. What other problems do they have that we can potentially help solve because of the data that we're collecting? Uh, so can we, can we give them a differentiated banking product based on some of the data that we're already seeing? Um, and instead of having to like acquire this customer all over again, we just, we just grow their share of wallet and hopefully solve a few other problems that they have. Uh, so that's kind of our goal for 2023 and beyond is just figuring out what else we can do uh, within this space to help these customers. And so we're, we're going to be doing a lot of customer interviews uh, once once people are live on the insurance product saying, hey, like, how do you feel about the, the product that you currently have? What can we be doing in addition to to this to like help you out um, you know, with with other other issues that you're having? Uh, so the, the John's John's job will not be done for a long time as far as like figuring out how to how to solve all of the issues that our, our customers do have. Paul John, you need some more, <laughs> more need some more hands, I think. Um, but no, I mean it makes sense. Yeah, it's just it, it's quite nice to hear someone just digging digging down deeper into that kind of customer experience. Like, what 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 problems can I solve for you? Um, and it's it's it, the simplicity of that is like is understated um, because you know the amount of people I speak to that are trying to do just like distribute into different you know, different lines of business, for example. And, and sometimes that's not the solution. It's uh, it's about kind of digging deeper. So, yeah, um, thank you so much, Doug. Pleasure as always. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to reconnect. And, and, and we said we do this and we have. So I'm really pleased. So thank yeah. you so much for being a guest on the podcast. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll look forward to seeing you uh, in a month or so. I guess month and a half in uh, in New York. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and catch up then. Yeah, InsureTech Insights uh, New York should give them a shout out. As we should, we should give them a shout out. So yeah, I will say, um, so I've told, actually, I have a, uh, if you have two minutes, I'll tell a couple of good stories about uh, yeah, FBI. Please. So um, June, they did a June conference in 2019, I thought was the best conference that I've been to. Uh, no offense against ITC, it was just, it was more manageable <laughs> and a little bit easier to work with. Not not quite the, uh, the mass of people that were at ITC. Um, and so loved it. Uh, then, you know, COVID obviously shut the conference circuit down. 
but I ended up going to their to the London event, or obviously where we met, um, and I got the same feeling again. I was like, "This is this is really great." I think what what they're doing is is good. Definitely a conference that anybody in the insure tech space, um, or or incumbent, or just anybody that's interested in innovation and insurance should be attending. Um, but my, my little story is, and hopefully he doesn't get mad at me for saying this or um, think that I'm like calling him out. Um, I, I rolled up to the uh, the conference in London late. My flight was late. I got to the hotel, I got showered, and finally made it over. And um, I like I, as I'm walking in, I see Christopher uh, Lumber, the guy, the guy who I think started it, or he's definitely the CEO now. Like outside, kind of like gathering trash up. And I was like, this is amazing. Like this guy is, um, you know, kind of doing everything. Uh, and, and I called him out. I was like, hey, like. You, you run this thing, right? He's like, yes, yes, yes. I'm, you know, I think German. I'm, I think he's German. Um, it got very humble and very red. I was like, oh, this is so cool. So I've been wanting to tell that story for a while. I've told a few people internally, but just like the, the guys that are running the organization, the guys and gals that are running it are, are amazing. Uh, and so it's really cool to see them have the success that they're having. And definitely if you're in the New York area um, or if you can make it to the New York area late May uh, for ITI, I highly recommend going. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I can't think of a better startup image than that like you put on this big funky event it's all expenses paid and you're outside picking up trash that's well that, they, they're a startup too right like that's, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly yeah yeah that's entrepreneurship in a nutshell exactly yeah uh so yeah awesome well look i look forward to seeing you there um thank you again doug an absolute pleasure as always yeah thank you thanks for having me cheers buddy As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.